Yo Pots. Check out Meet Mitch and Leawood for award-winning barbecue, outstanding atmosphere, and your destination to watch all your favorite March Madness action. Tailgating for opening day? Place your order online and pick up on way to the game. Meet Mitch Barbecue, East 95th and Mission in Ranch Martin North Shopping Center. Garrettson and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City. 1510 a.m. at 94.5 FM. Another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 a.m. ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Shout out to our presenting sponsors, starting with Garrettson and Toth. They handle the most complex felony, federal, or state criminal defense cases. You'll find them in doing that successfully helping criminal defendants all over the Kansas City area and northeast Kansas for years. Also be sure to visit Kim Howard and Associates Agency at 105th and Metcalf in Overland Park or give Kim and her team a call at 913-649-2002. That's 913-649-2002 for a quote on your home and auto insurance today. Well, for the final time this year, we will do our three keys to the game. It's the final game of the season in the NFL this Sunday between the Chiefs and the Eagles, the Super Bowl, and of course, we could break down five, six, seven different ways on how the Chiefs would need to find a way to beat Philly because this may be the first team all season where you really can't pinpoint a true weakness. Not through the stats, not through the eye test, not through injuries. You go to this postseason for Kansas City. You play Jacksonville. I think you could see some weaknesses with a team that had turned the ball over a lot, right? Lost the turnover battle against the Chargers 5 to nothing, but then found a way to win because the Chargers just simply chargered. The Bengals had a really banged-up offensive line. So our keys to the game centered around getting pressure on Joe Burrow, making sure Jamar Chase or T. Higgins didn't beat you deep. When I look at Philly, there isn't really one thing that you want to force them to do, I guess I would say. They have a really strong running game. They had a quarterback that was in MVP consideration before he got hurt. They've got a number one wide receiver. They get after the quarterback. They have the number one pass rush defense in the NFL. They have a very athletic linebacking core. They have a fantastic secondary. They're fine on special teams. There seriously is not one thing the Eagles do poorly. Now, there's a couple of different things to factor in when you look at these numbers for Philly especially in the regular season. The Eagles did not play a a very tough 17-game schedule. I think anybody with eyes could see that. If you really wanted to go out there and say they had the weakest schedule in the NFL, I would not have much pushback. Before their bye week in Week 7, the Philadelphia Eagles played three playoff teams. Those teams were Minnesota, who finished the season with a negative point differential, They played the Jaguars, and they played the Cowboys without Dak Prescott. They won, of course, all six of those games. Following the bye week, which began on October 30th when they played the Pittsburgh Steelers and Kenny Pickett, the Philadelphia Eagles only played two, or excuse me, three more postseason teams. They played... The New York Giants twice, the Dallas Cowboys, and maybe I'm missing a team in here. 
Maybe it was just two teams if you want to just consider the Giants one team and well, they did have to play them twice. But Philly only played about five or six playoff teams on their schedule. The best quarterback they faced, you could give the nod to Aaron Rodgers if you wanted to. They beat the Packers on November 27th, 40-33. to But we knew that Aaron took a step back this year with Green Bay because he didn't have his top weapon in Devontae Adams. Other than that, there was not very strong quarterback play that the Eagles had to go up against. If you go to Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, they had to play Josh Allen. They played Justin Herbert twice. They played Joe Burrow twice. They played a lot of good quarterbacks this season in the NFL, where Philly had the opportunity of skating by against some lesser teams. You got Pittsburgh. Now, the Chiefs did play Houston as well, but you got Houston. You got Washington twice. You got Indianapolis Now, the Chiefs did get a couple of those teams, but at least it felt like the Eagles were getting those teams at the better times, getting Indianapolis in late November rather than early September. You know, you get a team like Chicago, who was one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. So, on paper, it felt like the Eagles were getting an easier or a softer schedule, which may have led to some inflated numbers with their team. But you never really want to look at an NFL team and say, well, they're not that good because they just played a bad schedule. The thing is, this is still the NFL. And to win 16 games, win two postseason games by a combined 48 points, you're not going to try to pinpoint or to make excuses for winning those games. You don't need to apologize for beating up on lesser teams because the Chiefs this year didn't beat up on lesser teams. They have the same record as the Eagles, but they have more holes than the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles have a much better running game than the Kansas City Chiefs. The Eagles have a much better scoring defense than the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the only area in which the Chiefs really have the Eagles beat would be passing yards per game, the passing offense. Mahomes is eight ranks better than Jalen Hurts. Because Jalen Hurts isn't going to go air it out you know, 40, 50 yards down the field. He's not going to throw the ball 45, 50 times a game. Now, maybe not Patrick Mahomes either, but we all have seen Patrick Mahomes have the arm talent, have the, the potential, had the physical ability to air it out when he wants to, whether that's throwing against his body, throwing on the run, throwing no-look passes. Jalen Hurts doesn't do that. And if you were to, I guess, go position by position – and who has the better player at that spot, I think the Eagles would have more better players in those spots. I think they'd have more victories when going head-to-head against Kansas City's players. I think where the Chiefs would have them beat, they've got the better tight end, they've got the better quarterback, they've got the better nose tackle. Those are the ones off the top of my head I would say that the Chiefs beat the Eagles in. Now, I could still find some other players on the offensive line, and the receiving game, where if you go to the number three, number four wide receiver, maybe you give the nod to Kansas City. But in terms of starters, I give the nod to coaching to Kansas City. I give the nod to quarterback play, tight end, and a star defensive player. I think the Chiefs have the best defensive player on the field, but they don't have the best defense. And when you look at this game and how the Chiefs are going to find a way to beat Philly, you're going to need all-level type of performances from a Mahomes, from Kelsey, from Chris Jones. Now, we saw against Cincinnati, Chris Jones was unbelievable. Patrick Mahomes was unbelievable. 
Travis Kelsey was really damn good. And yes, you do need those guys to perform well enough on Sunday night to beat Philly. You're not going to really beat Philly if Patrick Mahomes has two turnovers or Chris Jones can't generate any pressure going up against Travis's brother, Jason. It's going to take a lot more than just that. But as a bare minimum, you need a different level of performance from those three guys. I mean, Chris Jones was turning in the best defensive performance of his performance, excuse me, of his life against the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, we have seen Patrick Mahomes be very efficient in the postseason. He's also playing on one leg. He's banged up a little bit. Jalen Hurts is banged up as well with his shoulder. But I really do feel like with this type of matchup going up against this defense, a defense that gets after the quarterback, is great in the secondary, you got to be flawless. And I think you can put that weight of expectation on Patrick Mahomes' shoulder. But at the same time, he's going to need some help. He's going to need some help from MVS, from Sky Moore, from Kadarius Toney, from Juju Smith-Schuster, from Noah Gray, from his offensive line. I think key number one for me is going to go right there to winning the trenches, going head-to-head with the number one pass rush in the NFL. You've got a handful of guys on that defensive front that have double-digit sacks. Hassan Reddick is a ridiculous pass rusher. You have Josh Sweat. Ridiculous up front. Even guys like Indomitian Sue are just depth guys, are role guys. You have Robert Quinn now, who they acquired from Chicago in the middle of the season. It's endless up front for Philly. It is a really scary pass rush, and one you could compare to the 49ers team they faced in the Super Bowl back in 2020. I would still give the nod to the 49ers pass rush, but This Eagles pass rush is deadly. It's lethal, and it can take over a game. And in all three Super Bowl appearances, that's something the Chiefs have had to go up against. A very stout defensive front. So key number one for me, it's keeping Patrick Mahomes clean. Winning those battles and winning those battles early on. There's going to be a couple of times in this game where Patrick Mahomes is going to get hit. There's no way around it. You cannot contain that defensive front for all four quarters. There's no way in hell you can. They're too good. There's too many guys up front you have to worry about. It's not like you're going up against the Chargers where it's if you contain Bosa and Khalil Mack, you win the game. Or it's not like going up against the Raiders where if you keep Max Crosby in check, you're going to be fine. It is four, five, six guys that are going to be coming at you. But if you can hold steady in the way you did early on in the AFC Championship game and set that tone, you can open up the playbook again. Because if they're getting pressure early on in the game and Patrick Mahomes is getting hit over and over and over again, they're going to have to change the the game plan. They're going to change the playbook. They're going to have to go to more of a quick game instead of being able to survey three or four options. They'll have to get the ball quickly, and you don't want to have to alter your game plan so early on. Because when a team forces you to alter your game plan, then you're already on your heels. Then you're already on the ropes. I think the offensive line really can dictate this game because the Eagles have beaten a lot of teams by hounding the quarterback, by obliterating and ravaging offensive lines. That's how they've won a lot of games this year, taking the pressure off their offense because they're so good at putting heat on who's ever taking snaps in the opposing team. Now, Patrick Mahomes has the ability to extend plays, be a little bit of a magician, 
At the end of the day, though, he he's still human. He's he's going to have to have a clean pocket on 75, 80, 85% of his dropbacks. So you're looking at Orlando Brown Jr. and Andrew Wiley to hold down the edges. The interior has to be stronger. Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, and Trey Smith have been great this season, but it can't come crumbling down on Sunday night. You have to hold firm against the best part of this Eagles team. I would go out and say that when you look at their offense and defense, the best part of their team is their pass rush. And if you can limit them, they're going to get theirs, but if you can limit them where they're not taking over a game, I feel confident the Chiefs will be on their way to a second Super Bowl victory under Patrick Mahomes. Number two is going to be, I think, centering around Juju Smith-Schuster for me. Juju Smith-Schuster has been a little bit quiet over the last couple of weeks. Hell, I think he's been quiet since suffering that concussion against Jacksonville way, way back, and I want to say that was October. So Juju Smith-Schuster has a concussion, hasn't really been the same type of target for Patrick Mahomes since, and it is tough to bounce back from a concussion. But if there was one game you really needed Juju Smith-Schuster for, I think it's this one. You saw how MVS impacted that game against Cincinnati. How he was able to go up against guys like Eli Apple, Mike Hilton, and look like a true number one wide receiver. When you look at this offense and the chemistry that Patrick Mahomes has built with it, Travis Kelsey's his security blanket. We've said that 400 times on the show before. But I think the guy he trusts the second most in throwing the ball is Juju Smith-Schuster. The thing is right now is that he just hasn't been getting the amount of targets. He has been taking on the team's number one cornerback, and that has hurt his production a little bit. I mean, going back to that game against Houston, no, I know he suffered his concussion. Actually, it was in mid-November. Gosh, time flies, really. But he played the Jaguars, had the concussion, and then he had two great back-to-back performance games against Denver and Houston where he had 11 catches and 10 catches. Since that game against Houston where he had 10 for 88, he went 4 for 27, 3 for 21, 2 for 35, 2 for 29, 1 for 7. The targets just aren't there. But I think Juju can really shine in being a physical, agile slot receiver in this game. McCole Hardman's out. I know you want Juju to be, to be lining up outside, but Juju is a great blocker. He's a great pass catcher, and he's incredibly physical, and he can beat up on smaller cornerbacks. I would like to see Juju have the game of his life. If I was to pick a guy to have a big-time performance, I want to say it's Juju. Now, I'm holding my breath because I have nothing to go off of over the last four or five weeks. I mean, he hasn't had over 100 yards receiving, I think, dating back to maybe that game against, was it Buffalo? Buffalo feels like a time that he went crazy. I mean, he was having a great performance in his Chiefs debut against Arizona, but only a couple times this year that he's really been able to pop off for 100-plus yards. San Francisco uh, was the other time he had 100-plus. Only twice this season, over 100. Buffalo and the 49ers back-to-back. And then he followed that performance up with 12 catches for 88 yards against Tennessee. He has shown that he is a true number 1 wide receiver in this offense, not in the way Tyreek Hill was but I think in a way that could give you comfort in knowing that he's a guy that can get separation. He can also block really well in the running game. He's great in the slot. He can also line up outside, but you need to get him going. And I think that starts with targets in the first quarter. I would like to see Mahomes, as long as Juju is healthy, 
because he is dealing with that knee injury. I would like to see him target Juju early on. Find those design plays to get him going in the way that we've seen them get Kadarius Toney going, MVS going, Sky Moore going. I would like to see a guy like Juju get six, seven, maybe even eight targets in this game because you are going to need him perform, like we said, at a different type of level if the Chiefs are going to win on Sunday night. And lastly, key number three. It's a no-brainer, but I think it is very fitting when going up against such a good defense. you got to win the turnover battle. You can't turn the ball over twice and force nothing on that Philly offense and expect to win this game. You're going to have to find a way to force Jalen Hurts into uncomfortable situations. I would take chances at sending all-out blitzes because we saw against the 49ers that Jalen Hurts was not anything special. In fact, his biggest pass completion of the day, the one-handed grab by Devontae Smith that should have been challenged and overturned to be incomplete, that was 24% of his passing yards on the day. He had a little bit of a check-down bug, and he's had a check-down bug since coming off of injury, having the shoulder injury, not wanting to air it out. So if he's not going to beat you deep, I think that's where you take chances with the blitzes. Don't need to go into zone coverage. Don't need to be playing on your heels. If a guy's not going to beat you deep, or he's not as accurate deep, I think you need to try to find ways to force turnovers. Don't rely on the running back fumbling the ball, or don't rely on A.J. Brown or Dallas Goddard or Devontae Smith to cough up the ball. It could happen, but it's all about putting pressure on the quarterback, making him make the mistakes. Forcing Jalen Hurts into a bad interception. Getting after Jalen Hurts where you can sack him two or three times in the first half. Getting Chris Jones, Frank Clark, Carlos Dunlap, George Karloftis all active up front. If you want to match the intensity of the Philadelphia Eagles pass rush, I think you're going to have to blitz even more than them, twice as more than them. Because the Eagles are not a team that I feel like are going to try to take the top off the defense. They're not going to be airing it out to A.J. Brown in one-on-one coverage. They're going to want to take what the Chiefs give them. And if the Chiefs sit back on their heels, Philly's going to be able to move the ball easily. Because you have that offensive line with multiple Pro Bowlers, you have a great trio of running backs in Miles Sanders, Kenneth Gainwell, and Boston Scott. They're going to utilize all three of them. They've got a good tight end in Dallas Goddard. They've got a great slot receiver in Devontae Smith. Across the board, Philly has a very well-rounded team. They are more well-rounded. They are a better team on paper than Kansas City. But sometimes, when you just have the better quarterback, that can will you to victory. Because numbers from Week 6, numbers from Week 10, numbers from Week 15, the first two postseason games, none of that matters now. It is just all four quarters, everything on the line. You can't pinpoint the things you do really well because those things could be exposed. On Sunday night. Maybe the Chiefs have a very good passing offense. They've been great at protecting Patrick Mahomes of late. That could come crumbling down on Sunday night. The Eagles have a good running game. Who's to say it gets stuffed by Kansas City on Sunday night? The Bengals torched Buffalo. They gashed Buffalo's defensive line with their running game and then followed up by not even running the ball at all against Kansas City. Now, there's just certain things that can go wrong for you but it's how you can deal with that adversity, how you can overcome it, and the Chiefs have that in Patrick Mahomes. But he's going to need a lot of help in this game. He was left out to dry. He was left for dead against Tampa Bay. He got the help when they played the 49ers. 
He got the performances from the defense. He got a performance that was extraordinary from Damian Williams. You had a great performance from Sammy Watkins. And if you don't get help in the Super Bowl, odds are you're not going to win that game. So those are my three keys to the game, how Kansas City can claim its second Super Bowl in five years over the Philadelphia Eagles. So key number one, uh, just looking at this pass rush of the Eagles, you need to be able to protect Patrick Mahomes, but more importantly, protect him early on. you got to set the tone. You do not want to have to alter that game plan because your offensive line cannot block for your quarterback. Number two, I think he's getting Juju Smith-Schuster involved early, getting him those targets as long as he's healthy. If he's 70%, there's no need to try to get him or force him the ball. He's not going to be that much of a factor. He'll just be more of a decoy in that game. But I would like to see Juju, if this is his last game as a member of the Kansas City Chiefs, I would like to see him have the game of his life. Now, if he's not 100%, I have my doubts. I have my reserves about him. But I do feel like if the Chiefs are to completely open up this offense, you got to get him going early. Get him those swing passes, those screen plays. Get him open in the slot, which he has shown he is more than capable of doing. And lastly, number three, it's a no-brainer, but this should go in pretty much every key to the game, win the turnover battle. It's a very good Philadelphia defense. They're going to try to turn the ball over. They're going to try to get after Patrick Mahomes. They're going to try to sack him as many times as possible. They have a great secondary. They have a ball-hawking secondary. If you lose this turnover battle then you're not going to win the game. At least I don't believe so. If you have two and they have one, I have my doubts. If it's even, maybe I'll give the edge to Kansas City because they have the coaching and they have the quarterback. But winning this turnover battle is vitally important. I feel like it really can dictate the outcome in this game and maybe who gets the ball last, who's going to have a chance to go win it when it's all said and done in the fourth quarter. Marco, any you want to double down on, add on, and how the Chiefs can beat the Eagles on Sunday night? Uh, I think, honestly, it's going to be one of those type of games where, and for the Chiefs, it's something that we're used to seeing with the offense, but it's going to be, uh, you're going to have to beat this team horizontally. I'm really curious to see what this Eagles team is like when you have to force a defensive line to go to move to the left or right. Joe Valerio, former Chiefs offensive lineman, um, was on Border Patrol Tuesday, and he talked about the one thing that he wants people to watch out for is, um, or watching this game when the Chiefs are on offense, is Creed Humphrey. Watch where his finger is pointing to pre-snap, and that's going to give you an idea of this, of which, of which way the uh, Chiefs' offensive line is going to try to force the Eagles to go um, schematically. So. I think straight up, you can't beat this Eagles team just right up the trying trying to do everything up the middle, and uh, especially um, against their front seven. So, you, I think what you, I think what you might see from this Chiefs team is just trying to beat them on the outside, um, forcing their edges to edges edges to chase, which could, un, which in the corners to drop drop to the sidelines, which could open up that middle part of the offense of the passing game. So I just think for the Chiefs, moving this Eagles offensive line, possession is going to be key in this one. Um, And so I think just keeping the Eagles defense out there, making them move more than just straight and then just forward um, is going to be a key thing for the Chiefs. And so that means Andy Reid specialty screens. That means jet sweeps. That means running to the outside, bootlegs, 
Um, I just I I, I I see that being the ti- I see that being a key in this game for Kansas City um, to find some counter against a team that's almost unbeatable in the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, you you want to think about a team that is the most well constructed, built to perfection type of team. It's Philly, and who was to think that? All they really needed was a number one wide receiver in A.J. Brown. They had the defense. They had the running back room. They had the offensive line. All they needed to do was go out and get themselves an A.J. Brown, and they could win 16 games. They are a very scary bunch. Do not take them lightly because they had a softer schedule. They are a damn good team. They are a team that is more than capable to beat Kansas City. In fact, they are favored to beat Kansas City. So don't let their regular season schedule cloud your judgment because this is a very good football team they're well coached with Nick Sirianni and there's a multiple there are multiple I guess trying to think of the right word for it they're dynamic they can beat you in multiple ways I'll just stick with that I'll go simple instead of trying to think of some crazy word to describe them if anything you know what if anything we can take away from last night's NBA game where LeBron James became the all-time leading scorer in NBA history Nothing is impossible because I remember growing up and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That was the record. That and Ted Williams. Um, uh, yes, Ted Williams, the batting average. Yes, yeah. batting average, and then Cal Ripken Jr. Uh, consecutive games. Those were three records that I, I was told growing up we were going to never be unbreak. We're going to be unbreakable. Just saw one break last night, so nothing's impossible. Yeah, nothing is impossible when you when you look at how these two teams match up. You know, I want to say that it's going to be really close, but you never can really make the best possible prediction when they're so evenly matched. I think Philly is more well-rounded, but it may come down to quarterback play, and that's where the edge goes to Kansas City, or it may come down to coaching, and the edge goes to Kansas City with Andy Reid over Sirianni. But still, plenty to get into as we have two more shows to go this week, talking Chiefs and Eagles, because it'll be the last time we do a preview for a Chiefs game for quite some time. But we'll have audio later on today. As Marco pointed out, LeBron James becomes the all-time scoring leader in the NBA. We'll dive into a little bit of that at the end of the show. But coming up next, K-State wins big last night against TCU. Now that we've seen Kansas and TCU play this week, or K-State and KU and TCU for that matter, and Texas play this week already, we'll do a quick breakdown of the Big 12 and how we see some of these things shaking out as we reach the final three or four weeks of the regular season. That's next on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. Back here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. K-State, a big winner last night at home against a very banged-up TCU team, 82-61. The Cats move to 19-5 overall on the season, but 7-4 in conference play. And now, I think we can dwindle down our, I guess, title contenders in the Big 12. We really can sort of minimize that group down to, I would say, five teams. I think at this point we can rule out TCU, not because they're poorly coached, they're not a great team. They're so damn banged up. They're without their best player, Mike Miles. Their best big man in Eddie Lampkin played last night. He was nowhere near 100%. So TCU has that going for them. 
Their two best players banged up and hurt. One of them not even playing. One of them is barely able to play at this point. And they're 6-5 and five in conference play. Now two games back of Texas. Anything's possible, right? They could get healthy. Mike Miles could come back sooner than expected. Maybe Eddie Lampkin gets to 100%. But we saw last night they ran out of gas. TCU simply ran out of gas against a very good Kansas State team. And one of Kansas State's best qualities is they're so durable. You know, aside from David Gasson, they've been a pretty healthy bunch. You know, Marquise Noel playing 34, 35 minutes a game. Keontae Johnson, same thing. Naquan Tomlin, same thing. They get great bench production with guys like Desi Sills. Tyke Green, who was great last night off the bench for the Cats, nearly had a double-double. So now looking at the Big 12, you have five teams that are pretty much in contention for the Big 12 title, or maybe sharing the Big 12 title. So let's go team by team here, and what's left on deck for those said teams. We'll start up top with the Texas Longhorns. They are alone in first place, 19-5 and overall, but 8-3 and in conference play. They get West Virginia at home next, and these next three are going to be very telling of this Texas team. They get unranked West Virginia at home, They get the team in last place, Texas Tech, down in Lubbock. Should be a hostile environment, though, because as we all know, they absolutely hate Texas. And then they go back home, Red River rivalry, against Oklahoma. So those are those next three games for Texas. You think easy on paper. It's the Big 12, though. Anybody can really beat anybody. But the reason those three games are so important for Texas winning the Big 12 is they have the toughest four-game stretch to close out the season of anybody in the conference. They get Iowa State at home, who right now is, excuse me, I said Texas was alone in first place. Iowa State right now has the head-to-head. They are in first place over Texas. So they get Iowa State a rematch after the two teams met way back on January 17th with the Cyclones won by 11 in Ames. So they'll welcome the Cyclones to Austin on Tuesday, February 21st, just a few days after they play Oklahoma at home. Then they go on the road to take on Baylor and Waco and TCU and Fort Worth. Maybe Mike Miles is back at that point. If he is, I think TCU has a good chance of pulling off that upset. And then they wrap up the regular season at home against the Kansas Jayhawks. Next three are, I think, even bigger than the last four for Texas. Because if you slip up twice, and not saying you why, I think they do lose that game to Texas Tech. There's something about that game at Tech where I feel like I would give the edge to the Red Raiders. Because the Red Raiders are tough out at home. They're terrible on the road. They are a really bad basketball team on the road. But hostile environment, I know Texas Tech isn't playing for much. They've been a very, very poor team this year. Still over 500 at 12 and 11. But we saw them knock off Iowa State at home. You know, they've given some teams a scare at home. You know, they took on Baylor back in about mid-January, only lost by seven. You know, actually, last time they played Texas, they nearly beat them, only lost by two in Austin. But it'll be a hostile crowd. We know Lubbock has a great environment. I could see that being an upset. If I were to make a crazy upset of the next seven games for Texas, I think it would be Texas Tech. But I see them beating West Virginia and Oklahoma at home. But if they lose to one of those teams, maybe it happens then you're starting to be concerned about Texas' chances of winning the Big 12. So those are the next seven for Texas. Iowa State, who is 16-6 and six overall, 
and seven and three in conference play. They are up next on the road tonight, that is, against West Virginia in Morgantown. So if you're a Kansas and Kansas State fan, you will be all for the Mountaineers tonight, of course, because the Cyclones have a win against both those teams. They are a half a game ahead of you right now at 7-3. and three. I've gotten my standings mixed up over and over again. Texas still 8-3. and three. Iowa State 7-3. and three. They win tonight. They have the head-to-head against Texas, but they would be in first place in the Big 12. So they get West Virginia on the road. Then they have back-to-back home games against Oklahoma State and TCU. Where their season will be decided is in a few days stretch where they go on the road to Kansas State and on the road to Texas. They have a softer finish to the season. They get Oklahoma at home and West Virginia at home and then on the road at Baylor. So unlike Texas, where they have their softer point of the schedule right now and their next three games, Iowa State gets it kind of in the back half. And their last three, they get two weaker teams in the conference at home. So the edge, I think, when looking at Texas and Iowa State, I would give it to Iowa State, but they've got a rematch against the Cats in Manhattan, and they've got a rematch with Texas in Austin. And that may decide where those two teams finish in the conference when going head-to-head against Kansas State and Texas. So Iowa State gets three teams in a row that they should be able to handle, assuming TCU's not healthy. You get Oklahoma State at home, but again, Oklahoma State is a team that can surprise you. They've now won three in a row. They've won four of their last five. They beat Iowa State. They beat Ole Miss by 22. They beat Oklahoma on the road by 10. It's now a sneaky Oklahoma State team. Who knows what can happen there up in Ames, but they are undefeated at Hilton Coliseum this season. So Iowa State, I would say a softer schedule. They've gotten a lot of tough opponents out of the way. They've already played Kansas twice. They have played Texas up at Iowa State. They have hosted Kansas State. They've had some tough games already out of the way. You know, but they still have to go to Baylor at the end of the year. They have to go to Manhattan. They have to go to Austin. So that is probably the stretch of games you have to, I guess, envision Iowa State really struggling with. I think those road tests against Kansas State, against Texas, that could decide just where they finish in the conference. As for the Kansas Jayhawks, 19-5 and overall, 7-4 and in conference play after beating Texas on Monday night. Their next stretch of games is probably the softest point of their Big 12 schedule. They've already had to go on the road to Waco. They've already played in Manhattan. They've already played in Hilton. Their toughest remaining game is the last one of the season on the road against Texas in Austin. But they get Oklahoma and Oklahoma State back-to-back on the road. It would not shock me whatsoever to see Kansas drop one of those games. But like we said with Texas, this is where you can sort of see the teams separate, how they play against the bottom teams in the conference. Oklahoma, despite beating Alabama by 24, they've now lost back-to-back games against Oklahoma State and West Virginia. They lost Oklahoma State by 10, and they lost to West Virginia by 32. That's how inconsistent the Sooners have been this year. And Oklahoma gave Kansas a lot of trouble up in Allen Fieldhouse. Different team, different point of the season now. But then you get Oklahoma State and Stillwater. Kansas has always struggled there. You come back home to take on Baylor, go on the road for a rematch against TCU. Like we said, it's all about evaluating where Mike Miles and Eddie Lampkin are at that point. If they're not healthy, then I'd expect Kansas to grab another road victory there in conference play. Then back-to-back home games against West Virginia and Tech. 
So you get Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, a banged-up TCU team, West Virginia, and Tech in your final seven games. That really feels like a chance where you can go 6-1 and one and at least clinch a share of the conference. Now, there is still a lot that could go wrong. We've seen Kansas play as well as they did against Kansas State on Tuesday, winning by 12. We've seen them play as poorly as falling to Iowa State by 15 and losing to TCU by 23 at home. There's inconsistency there with this Kansas team. But maybe with their new improved bench play, uh, their new improved play by Dewan Harris from Kevin McCuller, we could see them go on a bit of a tear. If Kansas goes 6-1, and one, I think they clinch at least a share of the Big 12 title. They run the table, win all seven, which I would still say to be very doubtful. I think they win the conference outright. But they get two teams back-to-back that are unranked. Then they get two more teams back-to-back unranked on February 25th and February 28th. Who knows if TCU is even ranked by the time they play him on February 20th. But the toughest game remaining on their schedule is the last one of the year. And if you have a lot of momentum going into that game, that may very well decide the Big 12 champion, KU and Austin on more, or KU and Texas in Austin on March 4th. Uh, so that is still a ways away now, a little under a month to go. But Kansas has to take care of business against these lesser teams in the conference in Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, and Texas Tech. As for Kansas State, after their big win last night against TCU by 21, they have two road games now back-to-back against Texas Tech and Lubbock, and then Oklahoma and Norman on Tuesday. Then you've got Iowa State and Baylor at home. Those two games, to me, will dictate where Kansas State really falls in the standings there because I think playing at Lubbock this Saturday going to be a much tougher game than people expect, as I already said over the air, that I think Texas Tech beats Texas at home here in the coming days. I don't know if they'll beat Kansas State. I think Kansas State is maybe a little bit better built, I would say, at this point in the season to beat Texas Tech. Maybe it sounds crazy because Texas is a damn good team. But we've seen Kansas State really lock in defensively over these last couple games. Not against Kansas, but I think overall. Now, their struggles on the road are very apparent. They've lost three road games in the Big 12. Back to three consecutive games in the Big 12 away from Manhattan, Kansas. So that can concern me against Tech and Oklahoma. But to me, they've got a softer schedule to close out at Oklahoma State, Oklahoma at home, and at West Virginia. But those two games that sandwiched in between – their next two road games, and their final three games of the season, Iowa State and Baylor at home, that to me will dictate where the Cats finish. Then it's Baylor for me, is the last team that really can win the Big 12. So they're 6-4 and four right now, a half game back of Kansas and Kansas State. They get Oklahoma at home tonight. Then they go on the road this weekend to take on the banged-up TCU team. They get West Virginia at home. So those next three games, I think Baylor should be able to handle. So you're going to look up and see Baylor at 9-4 and Ford here pretty soon. Then back-to-back road games in Lawrence and in Manhattan. So you get Kansas, Kansas State, oh, and then come home and play Texas right after that. And you still have to play Iowa State to close out the season. Baylor next to Texas has one of the toughest remaining schedules in the Big 12. And that's assuming they don't slip up to an Oklahoma, a TCU, or a West Virginia. So a half game back of Kansas and Kansas State So I would feel like Baylor's going to be able to have a good run of it over these next three games, get to about 9-4, and hang around third or fourth place, and be schedule-watching, basically, scoreboard-watching, and seeing what happens with the teams ahead of them in Kansas State, Kansas, Iowa State, and Texas. My gut tells me that right now the favorite should still be Texas. I think Kansas has a softer schedule. Kansas State has a softer schedule. I think Iowa State 
may bottom out a little bit because we've seen them really underachieve on the road, losing to you know Texas Tech after leading by 23 in the second half. We've seen them fall to Oklahoma State on the road. But again, I think all these teams are going to have still one more upset on their schedule in terms of losing to a team at the bottom of the conference like a Tech, like an Oklahoma, or like a West Virginia or Oklahoma State. So that's how the Big 12 shakes out right now. Texas still a half-game lead over Iowa State. They will be at home this weekend against West Virginia. Iowa State will be taking on West Virginia tonight in Morgantown. I think all eyes will be on that game for other teams in the Big 12. Kansas will be on the road in Norman this weekend, and Kansas State will be on the road in Lubbock this weekend against Texas Tech, and Baylor will be at home tonight against the Oklahoma Sooners. We'll take our final break of the show. When we come back, touch a little bit on LeBron James becoming the all-time scoring leader in the NBA and wrap it up with some fact or fiction. That's next on The Shift on ESPN Kansas City. Back here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I am your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. There is a new scoring champion in the NBA, and that, of course, is LeBron James. After hanging 38 points and a 133-130 to loss to Oklahoma City at home last night, he now stands alone as the all-time leader in the NBA with 38,000 390 points, passing former Buck and Laker Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And Mark and I were just talking about this on the break. I really don't see how somebody beats out LeBron James in the future. Now, 50, 60 years down the road, maybe there is another LeBron James, maybe even his son Bronny, I have my doubts. But I would say there's going to be somebody that emerges and has a good chance of beating that scoring record because records are always meant to be broken. I'm sure people at the time never thought Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record was going to be broken. Until LeBron came around. But Marco sent me this great tweet from this guy named at Jake and Hoops on Twitter. So Luka Doncic has been a guy that's been thrown around as maybe somebody that could one day maybe reach the top 10 and have a chance. So Luka averages 33.4 points per game this year. He, er, yeah, so this year he averages 27.4 points per game for his entire career. If Luka averages 33.4 points per game every year and played in 70 games per season at least, he would pass Kareem's record late in 2036. So 13 years from now, Luka would still need to be averaging over 33 points per game. That's how absurd this record is. I'm not sure it's ever going to be beaten, though, because LeBron's going to play another two years, and we've seen he's not regressing. He's not the level he was in Miami in 2011-2012 or even his early years in Cleveland, but still, he is putting up ridiculous numbers, and he's taking advantage of a, of a league now that doesn't really value defense the way they did back in the early 2000s when you had playoff games in the 70s and sometimes the high 60s, but still, that's no fault of his. He's just scoring a lot, and last night, to hang 38, it's ridiculous. I'm not sure that anybody's ever going to be able to beat LeBron James' scoring total. Michael's got the finals MVPs, the MVPs, the NBA rings, the defensive awards over LeBron, but he'll never be able to surpass LeBron in the scoring title. I'm not sure anybody ever will. All right, let's wrap up the show with some fact or fiction. Five questions, five takes in well under five minutes. Marco, fire away. Fact or fiction, Mahomes isn't sacked, for more th- isn't sacked more than once in the first half. I'm going to go fiction on that. I think they'll get to him at least twice in that game, not because the Chiefs offensive line is bad or poor or playing poorly. It's because the Eagles pass rush is so damn good. And like we said in the opening segment, they're going to get theirs in this game. I think fiction, they're not going to keep him that clean in the first half. 
Juju Smith-Schuster scores a touchdown on Sunday. I'm going to go fiction on that as well. I mean, I just don't trust that knee right now. I'd like to see him get the targets. But all for me, all I want to see him is get five catches, maybe five for 55 in this game. Just be a target for Patrick Mahomes. Generate some type of of top corner in Philly's secondary to come over there and travel with you or have some focus on you, have somebody shadow you because that will open up the rest of the offense. Factor fiction, Chiefs win the turnover battle. I think fact in this game. Something about it feels like Jalen Hurts is going to have an interception or two and Patrick Mahomes may just have one. And I feel like that is going to change the outcome of this game. Jalen Hurts is going to have more of a check down approach. We'll see what Patrick Mahomes looks like if he's going to be as gimpy as he was in the AFC Championship game or if it's all green light for number 15. But I think fact the Chiefs win the turnover battle on Sunday night. Of, of the top five teams in the Big 12, three of them lose by Monday. That may be overshooting in here. They've been playing a lot of weaker teams now, I think. Texas should be fine against West Virginia. KU should be fine against Oklahoma. And I don't see Kansas State. I mean, they could lose to Texas Tech, but they're playing well right now, at least after what I saw last night against TCU. Nobody passes LeBron's new record for the next 30 years. Fact, probably. I mean, somebody could become the superstar phenom, but I can't make that prediction right now. And with LeBron playing the next two or three years, that total is only going to get even higher. There is Ray Charles, so it's time to go. That wraps up another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. We will talk to you tomorrow at 10 AM, Kansas City. Well, I guess if you say-